Greetings, beloved. I'm Roxanne Brown, and I will be coming to you from a place of pure intention, deliberate, unconditional love always. I wanted to share a bit about myself and my process, my stages, my journey. It all started, I'm sure, way before, but I can begin in a place where I can understand a lot of my um, pain and rebuilding stemmed from uh, when I was seven and my parents got divorced and I carried a lot of stories, made a lot of stories, a lot of self-talk of my understanding as a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, my experience and how that's carried forth to my present-day life, my journey. I then uh, embarked on another path where my son was murdered in 2016 and then my father passed in 2017. I started my divorce process the year after my father passed, was separated and still in process of that. Going through the many transitions of life that would deem to be extreme challenges, but on the other side, there's bliss. I'm living in a space that I'd never dreamed of, the feelings that I've never dreamt of feeling. And I take this journey and continue this journey with you. Please join me and we can share together and heal together. Blessings in abundance. Greetings, this is Roxanne Brown. I'm here to share more about myself. My dear beloveds, thank you for being here. So a continuation of my background of who I am, how I came to be. I was a mother to my first child, Darius, who was in my life for 17 years. And it was just joyous and a blessing upon blessing. And he, he was unique from the beginning. And I know this is what most mother, mothers say. And I do understand that. But it was reconfirmed in the way people related to him and engaged with him. You know, and I, I had this like little secret that I didn't know was going to show me 17 years later what I was talking about, what I was feeling, what I was suspicious of. And I did that. I, I parented this child for 17 years. I got married to my daughters who I had after him. Got married to their father when Darius was five years old. And we had our life together. And then two years later came his little sister and then another little sister, another six years later, seven years later. So that's part of what my journey looks like. I was a mother. I've been a mother for 22 years. I lost my son in 2016 and I gained myself. I found myself. 
I was faced with myself. I had to make choices about myself as this was revealed to me in going through the grief and the mourning of my child passing. The most, I guess, impacted part of my story really revolves around the passing of my son and how life has taken many turns and side paths to be able to arrive where I am now. And that's okay too. That's part of life. I've been blessed to be surrounded by love and light, but by no means is anything by accident. Everything is designed as it was meant to be designed and manifested exactly, custom made <laughs> by me. In my time with my dear beloveds, I will share and I will constantly leave myself open to hold space for the collective. As I know, I heal, we all heal. And this is my, my time. Many processes have happened after my son's passing and there were main transitions, huge transitions that have brought me to where I am today. And I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to learn and relearn, reprogram, heal, and have the, the options to keep going because my time is, is not up. And so I'm here and I'm here to serve. So thank you for being here and please join me as I go forward into the many ways of healing and where they come from, how we get there, what is the process. Greetings, beloved. Thank you for joining. I would like to speak about in this episode about parenting and how we parent, how we've started our parenting relationships, where we've ended up, what happens in between. It's interesting because parenting, embarking on learning more about parenting and learning to, to better parent our children what happens by default is that we, we end up being very great communicators to even our peers, um, even our own relationships with our partners or spouses. Because ultimately, the best, most effective parents are people who speak well, engage well in a very healthy manner. And these are the things that are so important. There's a lot of things to be learning in parenting. And from my experience, which is what I'm always going to be speaking from, in learning to parent my children um, in the place of where they're at, as opposed to parent them 
from my unconscious pain and from my own personal childhood trauma, I've come to realize that these are the things that we have to look at. These are the things that we have to pay attention to because it's actually not about us. It's about the child and it's not about how we see they should be doing things. It's, it's, it's how they see. Because within doing that, the parenting becomes much more productive and effective. The impact translate into a, being a, having a connection with your child and being able to assist with other behaviors and state of mind, conversation, different circumstances that your children will, will, will have and will visit in their, in their lifetime. Being able to have that connection has everything to do with parenting from a very safe space, a place of love, a place of compassion. And those things don't stand by themselves. They come from a place where the parent has already established that for themselves. And therefore, naturally and by default, this is what the child or the children will receive. So to come from a place of love is, a, is another whole other chapter. Because self-love is, is the foundation. When you have compassion for yourself and accept yourself, this is what you translate to your parenting and to your partnerships and your relationships. And it just continues. When you decide that your value and your worth is of the utmost, you will always perpetuate that with everybody that comes around you, people you come into contact with, and definitely with your children. When you speak from this place, if the children receive the message for what it really is, there's no distraction, there's a deliberate focus when you can speak from this place. There's an assertiveness that is, is just automatic because you are already grounded in your, in your self-love, in your compassion for yourself, your acceptance of yourself. And it's not a simple place to be. It's a lot of work. It requires going into places of yourself that you didn't know even existed. A lot of opening to this has a lot to do with Meditating, tapping, being able to, to pray and, 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 and speak to parts of yourself that you've never had conversations with before. But I can say from experience that this will open you up to places that reveal true pain, true pain that deserves healing. And when you can go there, it is, it's a wonderful place to be. There is fear when you, when you have to embark on this trip of healing. And it's very simple when you're open to it. 
when you start the process, it becomes a domino effect. And ultimately, the natural consequence is your children, your partner, your friendships blossom. They receive all the greatness that you've built within going in, having that introspection of yourself and going forth. Parenting has has been such an important role to me and it's become more important now on my journey where I'm like parenting more moments by myself than with my partner as I am no longer in a marriage and um, I have my children more with me than not. And I've explored many ways to be able to to parent my children healthy, in a healthy manner. And I've been blessed to to have those opportunities to be able to to look at myself and to understand when I'm in scenarios that cause me to be triggered for different reasons to check myself, to to look at myself and ask the questions. Why are you triggered? Why does this upset you? Why does this bother you? Ultimately, parenting, there's no need to come from a place of negativity, of sadness, of anger, of frustration, because those have nothing to do with the child and what the child is going through. It's not that it's not valid, It's just that it's not about that. And so when we are exhibiting these feelings, it is our opportunity to explore them. Because for there to be a healthy interaction with your child, the separation of what is triggering the parent is absolutely necessary in order to respond to the child in a way that is effective and that is healthy for both the child and the parent, there needs to be a separation of what the parent has going on inside and what's really going on with the child in that moment. So being able to check yourself is very important to be able to understand and and validate your feelings and allow there there to be an importance about your feelings and figure out what is going on so you can go forward, so you can meet your child where they're at, and it only be about the present moment and the present circumstance that you are in with them. And that is the absolute most important thing. That's my piece on parenting. Thank you for sharing, and please enjoy till the next episode. Greetings, beloved. It's Roxanne, and I'm here to share my experience of grief, of loss. My grief came in a way of, or maybe I should speak about my loss. My loss, my first loss, was the divorce of my parents and not being able to physically see my father how I was raised to see him for the first seven years of my life. That was the first real loss, and I've never perceived it as that. 
But I think I can say that today, that that was probably the first main loss in my life and how my stories to understand myself um, at seven and all my younger years till the until my 40s, how I understood life to be and what that transition meant for me. Then I went into the next space of loss that was the loss of my child who was murdered. And that loss turned into a transition bigger than I would have ever expected. And it was a domino effect. It was one transition to the next. It opened the door of everything that either had to change, was going to change, or needed to change. All of it happened. The year after my son passed, my father passed, and then I went further into transition, or brought more transition, with um, separating from my children's father and start the, starting the process of divorce. The next transition was I moved to the next province with my daughters by myself to begin a new chapter. Losses is a is is a concept and an idea and a thing that happens in so many different ways on so many different levels it's felt on many many levels although we think that most people experience loss in in in, in different ways we actually experience loss in a lot of similar ways And the feeling is very real. And it is a process. And we don't have manuals that take us simply and easily and effortlessly through the process. But it opens the door to parts that allow that process to happen in a way that there, it would never happen. It is an effect that when you're going through it, you may not be aware, but it is happening. It is taking place. Every moment that passes is the process. Every morning, every night, Every action, every word, every behavior is part of the process of the grief and the loss. The loss of my father or my maybe family is probably the easiest way to put it. The loss of my family unit when I was seven years old was an immense impact. I had taken on or maybe given the role of um, watching over my little brother. And that was kind of like part of the part of the package of how it was going to look that my parents weren't together. And 
as a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old, the understanding was not present. I don't think there was any understanding. I think I just made things out to be what I thought they would be or what I thought they were. I put a lot of pressure on myself to be able to look out for my brother and make sure that he was okay. And not realizing that for a nine-year-old, that's a very difficult thing. And although for some people it's been a normalized thing, but it's, but it's a lot of pressure and... And they're not usually <laughs> the best caregivers at nine years old. And my experience, which I would rather speak from and not generalize, was that I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And that's how I understood um, to be the best caregiver for my brother that I could be. And little scenarios, even something as simple as him... Uh, not walking home with me one day and me thinking that, well, that's horrible that he would pick somebody else to to walk home with. It's because I don't walk home with him well enough. I don't do it right, you know? And it's easy to simply say that now, but I had to go back to nine years old to realize that, that I felt like that and that's the words that I would use to describe how I felt not enough at nine years old to be able to walk my brother home from school. But I carried that and I I didn't realize, but I carried that for years, that I wasn't enough. I was very worried about not being able to be with my brother and keep him safe that day that he walked home with somebody else. And I didn't know where he was. At that time, I was always looking for um, possibly my father. And that compounded the feeling of not feeling enough, not being enough. Because at nine, you can't really be enough <laughs> as a caregiver. And I wasn't at all exercising or practicing or made to practice being a, a, a sole caregiver. But just in that moment, what it took for that nine-year-old was probably just too much. And life continued And fast forward to becoming a parent and carrying that story that I was not enough translated into my parenting and parenting all my children. And that feeling becomes unconscious it you know it tucks itself away it's already created it's already been part of the main that's tucked away there you know creating all the stories to further confirm it and it just stays there and then more things happen in life so you become a parent and it's still trans transferred to that experience and then it transfers to all experiences my relationships felt like I wasn't enough, um, uh, friendships, not enough. It's not enough, you know, I need to be more to be a good friend. I need to be more to be a partner, to be a spouse. 
And that continues. And that's just one story that was made by a little seven-year-old when her parents were divorced. But it, it rang through. It rang through for years. Because until the story was dispelled, until the story was rewritten, it served its purpose to stay there until I got rid of it. The story that played such a major role in all parts of my life, in parenting, in my relationships, in my friendships, in my marriage, would be eventually attacked and dismantled in my later years. But it took a great amount of new lessons, new learnings, rebuilding, relearning to to change the story. And it was not so much to erase it, but to actually change it. And to speak to that nine-year-old although the conversation only happened in my 40s. Speak to the nine-year-old that, like, you are enough, and I accept you. You were amazing for what you were able to do at nine, and everything you do, you are enough. Whether you do it perfectly or you do it with mistakes, you are always enough. And that was the conversation I had to have with that nine-year-old for that story to change and for that story to no longer plague me in my relationships and my friendships and in my parenting. But that was the first loss. And the next loss was my son in 2016. He was murdered, and what I'd made internally as my home through my child and through giving birth to this child was now gone in 2016. And that loss turned everything around, and it didn't stop turning around. I'd come to realize that I still was carrying the feelings of not being enough as a parent and wondering now that he's gone, you know, I wish I had more time. Of course, I always always wish we had more time. And did I do enough for him while he was here in that short time? And I revisited at the time that I wasn't enough and I didn't do enough and I'm not enough. And I still didn't, at that stage, I still didn't dispel the story. I still didn't rewrite the story. So through the process of that loss, I still, I packed on more of the old story, which was that I was not enough and I didn't do enough. And there's more that I could have done as a parent to this child. The next loss was my father, the year after my son, and back to the same story, it's still there, that 
just visiting that, you know, was I enough as a daughter? You know, did, was he proud of me? Um, and of course, to support the story, the memories I resurrected were that he wasn't proud of me. He didn't speak well of me. He didn't, you know, he didn't think that much of me. And and those are the stories that I allowed to confirm for me that I wasn't enough again. And then the loss in my, of my marriage, of that relationship, was I... I was not enough as a wife. Was I enough? Was I not enough? <laughs> and the story packs on again. Some more additions to the story. And then in my relationships after my separation, feeling as if I'm not enough, not wanting to stay in a relationship just in case they'd figure out that I'm not enough. And so these losses shed great light upon this story that I carried from the beginning. And it was my parenting, after all of this loss, it's my parenting at the end that I allowed myself to look at myself and explore this story with the intention to change this story and rewrite it. Parenting my children through the great transitions that we have gone through and the loss that we were experiencing had me facing myself, speaking to myself, great introspection, meditating and revealing a lot of deep, wounded, wounded feelings that, that allowed me to get into parts that I never had been before, get into depths and layers that eventually revealed the story, that I wasn't enough. And through my parenting, what was visible is my ways of parenting were direct indications that I didn't think I was enough. I was always trying to do the next thing that was supposed to be more, that was supposed to be the ultimate thing for parenting, the best parent ever. Or the... And it was not until I met this nine-year-old and listened to her story that You know, your dad left because you weren't enough. You couldn't take care of your little brother because you weren't enough. Your marriage is gone because you weren't enough. And here you are today parenting your children through transition and you still don't feel like you're enough. And I had to speak several times to that nine-year-old. And the idea was not to convince her, but was to show her that at every moment, no matter what you do, you are enough. You are worthy and you deserve the best. It's not to convince her. It's to remind her of her original truth. Why she came here. Is that you are enough. Nothing you do or say will take away from you 
being enough. You are enough and you are more. You are enough and you are everything. And as that story changed to say those new words, the parenting drastically changed because now this parent was speaking from that space and therefore received from that space from the children that she parented. Speaking of loss, because it's real in the life that we're living, we have loss and we grieve and we mourn. Speaking of loss in this case was to also remind us and remind you of the found. What's found? What do you find? After the loss, where is the find? And I found myself. I found and aligned with my truth. And the process was not effortless. But I know on the other side is bliss. And it was to speak to the inner child. To transform the experience and the transition. Into a great place. Where there lives Roxanne being the best version of herself. So my story is that. Loss on the other side of it and grief on the other side of it is bliss. Because we are opened up, we are broken from the grief and loss to be open to the search and find healing. We are broken from grief and loss to be then opened for healing. That's my piece. Thank you, beloved. Thank you for being here and sharing. Blessings and abundance. Greetings, beloved. It's Roxanne. I'm here to share. Thank you for being here. In this episode, I would like to speak about what it means to truly love yourself. What does it mean to you to truly love yourself? Self-love, it's, it's a word I feel in my experience has been, it's thrown around. We're in a time where it's so simple to just say it. Self, oh, love myself. I love myself. Self-love. We need self-love. What does it truly mean? What does it look like when you really love yourself? And I think a lot of terms that people are coming out with and that are using comfortably, easily, effortlessly. A lot of terms, sometimes they don't mean anything till they have to mean something. Sometimes it's like relative to the person saying it, to their experience of their life. So I've been very careful and also weary about how do I use these terms? What do they mean to me? And self-love never really meant anything to me. I was just like, okay, so I 
I love myself. Would anybody ever say they don't love themselves? We don't really hear that naturally. Maybe that's an internal message, but we don't really hear that. People say, no, I don't, I don't love myself. So self-love didn't have any great meaning to me until it did. And I had realized, I always go back to my parenting because learning to parent my children in a healthy way, and I'm still in a process and I continue and I'm learning every day, but learning to parent them in a healthy way has exposed me to so many parts of myself that it's, it's unbelievable that parenting does this. So many parts of myself that it, it speaks to how I speak to people, not just children and not just my own children, but people in different capacities, different relationships, different circumstances. And so I will always be referring to that often is, is the parenting that has brought me to different parts of my life at this stage. And one of the things that were revealed was the love for myself in my parenting before I had this love of myself and recognized my self-love. I parented very different. I parented from a very place of lack and a place of feeling weak internally. And then I I started to do a lot of things to build myself. And I do a lot of things to learn more about myself. A lot of classes, breath work, meditation, tapping, EFT, different styles, different modalities to, to, to help myself, to learn, to, to, to face myself and, and learn, like, how do I bring myself to this better place, to this better person that I want to be? And in the process, I'd realized I was starting to love myself. And I still didn't know, and I still wouldn't have said if somebody asked me if I had self-love. I probably still wouldn't have been able to say that. But it was a real process. And there was a point where I was starting to make decisions that were primarily and prioritized in a way that was for me, for my greatest good. I started to speak in a space that was about my greatest good. I started to make decisions and and understand myself, putting myself first. These were actions and behaviors that started to happen. And I'd realized that I was loving myself. When you have self-love, your decisions across the board with everything is always for your highest good. By default, when you have self-love, what you do and what you say, how you act, is always in the best interest of yourself. Self-love isn't what I thought it was. Spas, soaking my feet, doing my nails, getting my hair did. It was not that. That is not self-love. That is not self-love for me. 
because I was doing that and I still didn't have self-love. Self-love is on a, on a completely other level. Where simple decisions like spending time with people that are less than healthy energy for you, you rethink those. When you think of where you want to be and how you're going to feel when you get there and you process before that, that it's not the best idea because you might not feel when you get there. That's self-love. Knowing that certain interactions with your children will be negative if you do it in another kind of way and it won't feel good, making the choice to not do it that way so everybody doesn't have to feel horrible or whatever they might feel, that's self-love. Putting yourself first, your health first, your well-being, your heart first is self-love. You end up making decisions eventually unconsciously for your greatest good because of your self-love. And self-love comes with a, a package that sometimes it's, it's, they're not really broken into pieces. They, they kind of come together when you can eventually look at all of how you feel about yourself and how much you value yourself and recognize your worth and how deserving you are. You see the package and, it, and the package looks like compassion for yourself. It looks like acceptance of yourself. I accept myself whether Monday was a good day or a bad day. I accept myself. Forgiving yourself is part of this package. Forgiving yourself for making the mistake on Monday. And then Tuesday, it's, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be sitting in that guilt of it. Compassion for yourself to allow yourself to be who you are and feel what you feel and still know that you're worthy and still know that you deserve to be happy every single day. That's part of the package of self-love. To know that like, no matter how your parenting looks on a certain day or your conversation with your partner on another day, you are still enough. You still accept yourself. You still have compassion to hold space for yourself in the moments that you're less than what you thought you were going to be. That's part of the package of self-love. So I'm here to say today that my experience is not soaking my feet and giving myself a mask every three days, facial mask every three days. That doesn't mean self-love to me. It's remembering my value on every level of my being, remembering and knowing and recognizing that I deserve to be happy every day. Happiness being important to me is my self-love. Knowing that because I feel good 
or the things that make me feel good make me happy. So I will continue to do the things that make me feel good that makes me happy. That's self-love. It's a very different place. And I would say in my generation, I don't know if we were always taught that. And I don't know if the messages we got spoke to true self-love. And so that's my piece on what I believe self-love looks like. Thank you deeply for sharing, for coming and being part of this process. Sending abundance of blessings and divine love. Greetings, it's Roxanne and I'm here. Thank you for being here. Infinite love and gratitude. I want to speak more on self-love because it's so important. And I, I want to tap into more what I've termed and maybe many people have termed me time. What does that mean? And I spoke about in the first part of um, self-love being that, you know, it's not taking baths and facial spas, facial uh, facial masks and spa bath and all of that. Um, that self-love is, is, is something that's very, very much, much more deeper than that. And I want to continue that, those ideas when we talk about me time and what it really means to me, me time. Me time becomes very natural when you've established your self-love. Because it becomes automatic. When you know you are worthy, you know you are deserving, and you love yourself, your me time is automatically designed. Because now, once you have the recognition of your worth and your value. Your design of me time starts to take form. And again, me time to me is is, is more than just a, a spa day. Me time is, is a time where you have already accepted that you are deserving of this. And the only thing next to happen is the time and day. That's it. Because me time has to go in that order. It cannot go, oh, time and day, and then you recognize after that you're deserving of it because you'll never pick the time or day. It'll never be a priority. It'll never be top of your list. It'll never be for your highest good. But once you've established your self-love and your worth and the fact that you're deserving your me time will roll out simply. It's like part of, it's just a, it's a process. <laughs> That's how it happens. Me time has nothing to do with anybody else. It means that it's an important time for you. Me time is, 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 is something that you are worthy of. And you pay any money you can <laughs> or you have to have your children well taken care of so me time can exist in a wonderful fashion. Me time is actually not 
a luxury. Me time is absolutely necessary. Me time is integral. Me time is all about me. Me time is a definite and absolute. Me time is not possibly to happen or could happen. It has to happen. And that's not a simple thing coming from somebody who has not really gone forward in that way and and done that. Somebody who went through processes and transitions to get to understand these terms, self-love, me-time, self-worth, compassion for self, forgiveness of self. It's a process, but we can get there and and me-time can exist. Not, Not to write on paper, not to look like we're doing something, but that it really... It really exists. And when you love yourself, your me time is there. Your me time will definitely exist. Self-care. When you care for yourself, your me time is there. You don't ask for me time. You make me time. And I wanted to share that piece part two to self-love. Thank you, beloveds, for joining. Until the next time. Blessings in abundance. Greetings, beloved. It's Roxanne. I'm here to share. Thank you for being here. In this episode, I'd like to speak of healing past relationships, the importance of healing past relationships, any past relationship. Sometimes we're in the practice based on sometimes how we're raised or what we've been around and we've been exposed to. We're in the practice of unconsciously repressing and suppressing. So there's relationships that have made deep wounds and deep impact upon us. And 15, 20 years later, we're wearing some of that in our new relationships. We're wearing the wounds but like a vest that's like under your chest, under your heart, um, and creates blockage. Healing past relationships, when I speak of this, I mean healing old trauma, healing perceived trauma, personal deep-rooted pain and wounds. And that process and that part of my growth comes from healing my inner child. A lot of the times in the episodes, I will be always going back to healing the inner child because I think of things that I've gone through and they've stemmed from the stories that my inner child made to cope and to manage at seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, 11, 12, 13. But those stories no longer serve me. But the inner child still needs to heal. Because wherever it is, the trauma that's impacted that inner child, 
that nine-year-old child, that 10-year-old child, that part is stuck for that child. And at 46, there's impaired ways dealing with relationships, marriages, friendships, delayed ways of dealing, engaging, communicating in friendships and relationships and marriages. And it's those delayed ways are directly, directly related to the child who needs healing. The child in that being that needs healing. It seems bizarre to people and I could say from my experience it was a very huge process to to dive there, to go in that direction. And as I became aligned with my truth and started living my truth, the inner child's pain revealed itself effortlessly, would come up and I wouldn't have to search why this hurts or why that hurts or why I speak to my kids this way or why I spoke to my husband this way. I didn't have to search. It would come up effortlessly the more I aligned with my truth. When, when I started to live my truth and I knew my purpose. But I don't think everybody has to wait to know their purpose and align with their truth. Sometimes that's happening naturally and it's not even a deliberate intention. And that's happening naturally. And if you learn about healing the inner child. You could very well be causing less effort in alignment for yourself. Maybe it would look simpler. Maybe it would be simpler. Who really knows? But I can say that in my Relationships, I had visited a lot of wounds that stemmed from the stories and the experiences of my inner child. Or maybe just my child. Inner child, my child, it's the same. Understanding my masculine relationships and how I would deal with with men in my life. Just understanding, you know, having the ideas of not being enough because of the original person that I felt I wasn't enough for, which was my father. I thought to myself, as a young person, when my parents divorced, I thought to myself, if I was enough, my father wouldn't have left, you know. But that young person couldn't break it down. In my 40s, I could break it down that, well, they divorced. He couldn't find a job in Montreal, so he moved to Toronto. And that's why this happened in this way. That's where he desired to be because that was where he could make his living. Nine-year-old can't break that down. The story that the nine-year-old took was, if I was enough, not only would he not leave, but if he did leave, he would come back. And that's what that nine-year-old kept for 
maybe like 34 years, 35 years, to come to a place where relationships were not doing very well and to come to a place where a strong desire to change myself to be the best version of myself. And that brought me to sitting with that child and cradling her and holding her and retelling the story, rewriting the story for her. That you are enough. You are not the reason your father wasn't there. You're enough and you are everything. And breaking it down that no matter what you do or say, you'll always be enough. And that's the rewriting of that story, that I am enough and I am everything. I'm a master creator and I'm a master manifester. And rewriting that story was how I started to heal my relationships. So when I speak of healing past relationships, it's because healing the relationship today has created a backwards domino effect of healing everything from today going back. Because the story that brought me into my 40s, it plagued every relationship. Hence, the inner child that is stuck, that's stuck that happens because of that original story. And so, taking care of that inner child having compassion, meeting that inner child where they were at, that you were great, repeating and forgiving yourself for allowing this story to have been right through every relationship, right through every friendship, right through your marriage, right through your parenting, allowing that story to be that. Forgive yourself of that because today you know better. Today, you are doing better. Today, you are the best version of yourself. But you have to have compassion for that child because that child kept that story so you can cope, so you can keep living. But the story no longer serves. It's done its time. And the new story is your recognition of yourself and which is your true self, which has always been your truth. Always remembering to to validate the feelings and the story that originally came. Because these stories were there to, to help the child cope. The child cannot make adult understandings of circumstances. And some things can be so traumatizing for a child that the story is the simplest story available to them. 
no matter how wrong and how hurt hurtful it is, it's the easiest story that they can think of without having any idea of their worth and their value. So healing past relationships comes from a place where the healing that started way back when healed today right through has caused healing on many levels, many layers, and many relationships. It's almost like coming to terms with past relationships that you didn't do so well, whether you ever get to meet or discuss with these past relationships has nothing to do with your healing. People speak about this closure that people are seeking. Your closure is taking care of the inner child that has tried to protect and help you all these years. And that story that that inner child has created no longer serves you. That's the closure. If people in your past relationships die and you've never got the chance to speak to them and to forgive them and to forgive yourself, does that mean you get no closure? Closure is with yourself. Coming to terms with yourself and your truth. Closure has nothing to do with anybody else. That's my true belief. I've heard people many times speak of, well, I'd like to meet up with him or her again so I can get closure. Closure has nothing to do with anybody else. If they die so you don't have closure, so you have to live with that for the rest of your life because they died and you didn't get any closure? No, that's not the responsibility that I'm willing to live with. It's about healing and creating the story, the new story, the story of love and compassion, unconditional love, the story of the fact that you know that you deserve everything great. You deserve happiness every day, all day. That story, that's the story that you want. And that's the new story. That's my piece. <laughs> on healing past relationships. Sometimes the inner child is the answer. Thank you, beloveds, for being here, for sharing with me. Until the next time, blessings in abundance. Greetings, beloveds. It's Roxanne, and I'm here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining I would like to speak on releasing old stories and my experience of how they come to be, to be where they are at today. The old stories are usually the stories that help us cope and that bring us through. And when we are learning and rebuilding and relearning to become the best versions of ourselves, we have the ability to change those stories. But the foundation is really important. The story can't change unless your mindset and your thinking 
around the topics and the important parts of the story unless that has changed the story can't really change on its own the foundation would be to perceive life and the things around you circumstances and situations to perceive them in a manner that things are not done to you to hurt you they're done for you always everything is a gift nothing is bad or good things are just things things that happen are just things that happen that foundation understanding that helps create stories at the end of the day that serve your highest good when you have perceptions of the world of supporting you and you're being provided for and you're surrounded by love and you are constantly inundated with unconditional love and you have feelings of infinite love and gratitude when that is your foundation and your mindset then your thoughts stem from that and then you have your feelings which come from that where you can create your story the story doesn't appear out of nowhere there's a foundation it has to come from you can't have a negative mindset and then expect your story or stories to sound good and be uplifting for you you have to come from a place where you see yourself as worthy and it will directly relate to your story see yourself as deserving of great so when something happens rather than this person did something to me that hurt me maybe your perception would come and sound kind of like there's a situation that has occurred and allow yourself the feelings it makes me feel or it's giving me feelings like this and you go forward what do i need to learn from this this is present for me to learn this is here for me to learn this is rather than seeing it is that you've been done something to and you have bad luck the situation has happened what were you what what are you to learn what am i supposed to get from this what am i supposed to do am i supposed to change what i'm doing change what i'm saying not to be in the space of it's been done to me and there's nothing i can do about it or there's nothing i'm going to do about it it's that core that foundation mindset and you can help yourself 
when you're living in a place of, of, of infinite gratitude and true gratitude all around you, understanding, appreciating, seeing, loving, when that is your foundation, your story almost has no choice but to serve you for your highest good. It's very hard to have a mindset that doesn't match your story. Releasing old stories means speaking to the original story and allowing, accepting, permitting it to be what it is and to thank it for the time it's been there and it's just to let it know that you no longer serve me. Thank you and I see what I need to do Thank you and I release you. When it's no longer serving you, you just release the story. You know today that the story that speaks about that you don't have a man or you cannot find a man, that story no longer works today. That was the story to maintain you not being with a man because of any other insecurity that you really have. And today that story has transformed into I'm a loving person. I attract loving people. I deserve to be loved. That's the new story. I'm just sharing my piece. Thank you for being here. Sending you blessings in abundance. Greetings, beloved. If you'll have me share, I have a topic that um, will probably come up quite often in my episodes. Um, Speaking on parenting and the experience from the person you were to the person you are today. My process has been um, an up and down, a relearning and a rebuilding. I can speak now from a place of uh, understanding when I compare how I was raised to how um, the choices I've made to raise my children. With parenting, it's interesting when I would look back and allow myself to be open to recognize the response that I would have to different circumstances with my daughters. I couldn't help to start reflecting on the anger that I would respond with sometimes, like just coming out of a place that I don't think I understood right away. And the more I aligned with my truth and the more I understood myself and, you know, different issues stemming back to my inner child trauma and the inner child healing, I started to realize that um, the anger had nothing to do with them. Um, The anger came from places within myself that were hurting, unresolved, um, broken. And when I started the healing of that, there was no attachment to the behavior of my children. It was no longer about how angry it made me feel 
when they did certain things. It start, it turned into something very different where it was more about, so what's going on with you? Why this is your response or this is your behavior or this is your feelings or emotions at the end? Like what's going on inside? And the detachment revealed so much answers because there was nothing for me to be angry at if it's their emotion and it's coming from them why would I be angry why would I be impacted in certain ways and not that it's impossible but the fact is why and I had to explore that and realizing there was reasons why sometimes because I couldn't understand I couldn't relate uh, from my own upbringing children were you know um not really paid attention to for the details of what's going on with them. Um, I don't think we were always asked the details of what we're feeling emotionally. So the practice wasn't there and I didn't understand how I had these young ladies in my house, my children, expressing things that I could have never expressed and never dreamed of expressing at the age that they were at. And there was a part of me in some instances where I was envious. And I think the impatience with their ability to express themselves so clear and concise, um, the impatience was like almost envy. Almost like, well, who do you think you are? I, I couldn't speak that way until I was in my 20s. Why, where, it is, where do you come from where you can speak? with such strength in how you feel as if you know how you feel is supposed to be this important and everybody's supposed to be concerned and it was embarking on those conversations with myself understanding what's my emotion when it comes to my children what's my emotion what's going on with me when responding and eventually it was not only responding to my children, but it responding to any individual speaking to me. If I'm reacting or responding or addressing something somebody has said, why would I have emotions about it? If it's their perspective, their feeling, their emotion, I now question myself as to why do you have that emotion? Why are you triggered? And the more I do that, my response is more of a response rather than a reaction or an immediate reaction or a triggered reaction. I have learned to give myself space to understand and literally in the moment process what I'm feeling at the time of planning to respond. It's, it's a wonderful place to be because there's no longer my attachment to, to the situation that's there. I can be very clear knowing that I can hear them from where they're at, where they're coming from, and not mix it up from what I'm feeling, which has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me and how I'm understanding and how I'm feeling and 
whatever deep beneath that's been repressed and how that's resurfacing. When that detachment happens, it's there's a wonderful clarity that when you're dealing with scenarios and different situations, you you can be so open to so many possibilities. You can be so open to so many options of responding and to even go a step further to allow yourself to, to, to respond from a place of love and compassion. And coming from those places was a lot of rebuilding and relearning. Rebuilding, understanding that Loving myself is the best gift I can give myself, my family, my peers, the collective. Because once you reach that acceptance, that compassion for yourself, self-worth, what you perpetuate is immense, infinite love and gratitude. I won't pretend that it was an easy process because it's a practice that we don't really, we don't have a major learning from this. We don't have a lot of our family life and how we were brought up doesn't really expose us to this way of seeing ourselves, way of understanding ourselves, that as beings we are deserving of love always. and. The greatest love is when we give ourselves that love because then therefore that's what we'll attract. Going back to parenting, it's a lovely place to parent from a place of compassion and love and acceptance. Because it always will create, by default, it'll always create a safe space for children, for your friends, for your family. It all translates, it all spreads. <laughs> across which is such a great thing with parenting is that when you parent from a place of truth and love it then spreads to all your relationships and i guess from my experience it could never really be a bad thing ever but there's nothing like the experience to be able to hold that space and create a safe space for a child who's doesn't know how to say or express the best way that they want to or they don't understand how to express themselves or making the choice to express themselves whichever way it comes out and to be able to just hold that space allow them to be who they are in that moment and allow yourself to be who you are in that moment and go forward and be able to Speak in a way that your heart lets your heart sing. It's a wonderful place to be. And I, in gratitude, thank you so much for sharing this time. Until the next episode, love yourself. Greetings, beloved. If I can share, thank you for being here. I would like to speak of a term I find I never understood before I had to understand, and it was speaking of unconditional love and understanding what it meant for me and being aligned in my truth and redefining what unconditional love 
was and is for and from my experience. It's a place where nothing else lives but pure, blissful, joyful love. It's a place where regardless of what happens around you, to you, or perceptions of it happening to you, it's not altered. It doesn't change. It's a place where regardless of who people are around you, what they say, what they do around you, you still hold this place that has no conditions. It's a place where regardless of what feelings are visiting, what feelings you're observing, what feelings you're witnessing, it maintains itself. Unconditional love is a place that has no conditions. It's not altered, it doesn't change, it doesn't sway. It is exactly what it is. It's a place where when you look at the world around you and a lot of the darkness happening and people being impacted by darkness and shadows, even yourself being impacted by darkness and shadows in personal ways, that love still remains and love still spreads from you and love still perpetuates and you still share it and you still embark on it. You still go forward with it. It's a simple place to be. It's just not a practice that we're accustomed to. When things seem complicated, the truth is unconditional love is not complicated. It leaves out complication. Unconditional love sits in places where like no other thought process can sit. Unconditional love is in corners where no other mindset can, can sit. Unconditional love is a place where it keeps you in joy regardless of what happens around you. Unconditional love has no conditions. It's a place that you feel no matter what, and it has nothing to do with anybody else. Aligned in your truth and your pathways with your inner being, that's what unconditional love is. No one can affect it. No comments, no experiences. Something that comes from a part of your heart that is untouchable. And it doesn't change with the weather, with feelings. It remains. And it's probably a beautiful, probably the most beautiful place to be. 
So I send, all of you beloveds, I send you unconditional love, infinite love and gratitude. Greetings, beloveds. I'm here, and I hope all is well with the collective. I'm here to speak today about, I guess, part of my healing process, but just coming from a place where I've been rebuilding the last three, four years, um, relearning, reprogramming, releasing old narratives that no longer serve me. And I'm aware that anything of contrast that I experience is for me to learn and to address and heal. And this is in assistance to creating the better version of myself, or the best version of myself. Perspective is very interesting, where um, when you're engaging in scenarios and situations um, that have contrast, that are challenging and have this appearance of like negative feelings and emotions, it's your chance to check yourself. And maybe that's not the best word. Maybe relook, <laughs> figure out yourself, recognize yourself, uh, understand what you're mirroring. But all these speak to, you know, this is a lesson. What am I to learn? Who am I to speak to? What am I to say? And encountering a contrast where um, I was being triggered on so many levels and the shock of the fact that I was being triggered <laughs> caused me more triggering within this conversation. And I'd come to the conclusion after um, that not only was there more for me to learn and more for me to release in my journey of healing, there was you know, uh, the biggest thing that had come from that experience, which was that contrast and that challenge, the words that were used, the triggers that were, those were all illusions. Those were not anything. It was very 3D conversation, very stuck in ego and emotion. And there was a realization that nothing else really matters. As long as I'm maintaining and aligned with my truth and affirming every day in all my actions, all my words, all my thoughts, and all my feelings, as long as I'm affirming every day my purpose, my reason for being here, everything else is extra. And I got so caught up in that interaction, that contrast, that it it was it took like 24 hours to speak to myself and remind myself who I am what I'm here for remind myself that I'm a loving light being and that scenario was nothing it meant nothing it means nothing and it was to realign with my truth the 24 hours that it took to come to the recognition that you came here for very big things. This is not 
This is not meant to stop you. This is not meant to disrupt your path. This is a contrast to remind you of healing and to go forward. Not to sit in it for a week, even a day. And there's nothing wrong with it when it happens in that way. But that's not what it came for. Like it didn't come to bog me down and to lower my frequency and my vibration. It came to remind me there's some more healing. There's some more work. There's no need to stay in this. These are, these are illusions. These are things that the next morning is coming. The sun will rise tomorrow morning, no matter what you said and did today, and no matter what contrast was presented to you. And it's to have that reckoning with yourself, to be able to sit and remind yourself that I love myself enough to know that I, I want always what feels great. And what feels great is, is aligned with my, my truth. It's not eating candy and feeling good and then, you know, compensating for what's really going... What really feels great is when you expose yourself to wonderful, loving vibrations. And that doesn't happen while you're in contrast and you're trying to learn what the contrast means, what you're supposed to do with it. It doesn't feel like you're in your highest vibration at that moment. And so the automatic, hopefully going forward, would be to gravitate back to that ultimate feeling, that ultimate joy, that ultimate bliss. And in having the intention and knowing that that's what you're here for, is to live a blissful life, gravitating back to it is the natural occurrence learning the lesson and starting to embark back onto the path of your bliss and your joy. It's just a realignment. The contrast is there for a realignment. And I think that was definitely something that was revealed that regardless of what's going on and regardless of what changes from one moment to the next, Realigning is everything. Realigning is getting back to your truth. And truth is love, and it always will be. Greetings, beloved. I'm here in the wonderful wilderness. I'm really here in the middle of a park. It's just a lot of birds around me, but thank you for joining, and I, I'm here to share. So thoughts of, of change and transition were coming through my mind because that's all that life seems to be is just constant transition. The smaller transitions we don't notice, but they're still there. And the major transitions that, be, that are experienced and witnessed and observed in tragedy and trauma, those, those are very apparent. And the understanding of it is even more apparent. We have grown, a lot of us, in many ways to understand that change, anything different from what you were doing Monday to Friday last week, is not good and is not a safe place. We've always attached, you know, routine and structure. We've always attached that to parenting as, you know, um, that's safe for children. They can trust the situation. 
we've always attached that. So anything differing from that can incite great fear, incite frustration, incite possibly anger. And the truth is, that's a perception. Change is happening all the time. And it's the ones that impact us the most that we will attribute and attach different emotions that are not the highest vibration. All change, small and huge, they all come to present a new way to do things, to present a lesson that reminds us of our inner light, our inner being speaking to us that we can do this. This is why this is happening. We can do this and we will. We can manage this situation. We can manage this new way of looking at life, new way of doing the dishes, new way of having a happy home. We can do this and the change is there not to hurt us and it's not to bring us grief, although these are witness, these are feelings we witness, not to bring us loss and feelings of loss. It's, it's to bring us a new way and allow us to adapt ourselves and learn to accommodate and learn to transition within a within a flow of our our being things that are happening around us are not happening to us and it's not to hurt us it is to bring us to our next level and if we can just use that as examples and use that going forward in life what a difference to look at life in those ways that this today is a lesson. This today is something teaching me something new. When it's extremely painful, it's not easy to go to that point. But it's to your benefit to go to that point. To anchor yourself in to the truth. That going forward, you're always supported, you're loved, you're always provided for once you've established those beliefs, there's nothing like living every day after that day. Nothing's comparable to that. Because that alignment with your truth, that you are love and surrounded by love, always, it helps to witness and observe situations and transition. It helps to witness those things in such a different way for it not to become you, but to observe these things that are happening, to witness that they're happening and give yourself a choice in that moment to address them as opposed to react to them, to learn from them as opposed to be triggered and, and held bondage by them. Just some thoughts, sending immense love and unconditional gratitude and love.